pleased to have Anna Robbins on the other side of the table with us today. Anna, thanks for sitting down. I would say it's a pleasure, but we'll find out. Well, it's going to be fun either way. Uh, A few months ago, you were appointed the seventh president of our seminary here, Acadia Divinity College, and the Dean of Theology for the university. How did that happen? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I guess God is an interesting God and opened lots of interesting doors through my life, and I just had to walk through them, I suppose. I'm... You know, I've I've been told by certain people around me, said, oh, you've had lots of good opportunities in your life. And that would sometimes irritate me. Can I say that? Because I would, yes, I have had amazing opportunities. And we live in a part of the world where opportunities are more than we imagine them to be most of the time. Um, but, but you also have to have the courage to make some opportunities sometimes and the courage to take opportunities that are risky and sometimes scary, and um, so I guess that's that. Those were all in play uh, along the journey to this place, but most of all, the grace of God and the call of God um, to do this for this time. You took a a somewhat international journey to get to get to here, involving some time uh, teaching in the UK and then coming back here to teach. What roles has the different places and different cultures you've taught in had in in bringing you to this point now? Um, yeah, so I was um, grew up in St. John, came studied in Ottawa at Carleton, did politics there, and then uh, returned and was married. And um, it wasn't long before it was clear God was calling Peter and I to ministry, Peter's mother half. And um, so we studied at Acadia, and we pastored in the valley, but the theology was my thing. And so I just kept studying, and uh, we needed to to go to the UK so I could do my PhD work, which we did. Um, we went for two years, but we stayed for 15. And that was that was a great time. All these things were hugely shaping of me. Acadia was shaping of me in hugely significant ways. Um, my home church was shaping of me. I would say that's where I got my biblical grounding. Um, that's where I came to faith, and my faith was able to flourish. and was nurtured very well. Coming to Acadia was then where... For an adult life of service, I ne- I had loads of questions <laughs> about who God is, and um, if God is who who we think God is, then He demanded more of me personally than than um, kind of uh, showing up on Sunday and that sort of thing. So the call became very clear. So Katie was hugely shaping, I would say, um, along the way. All of the kind of the theological grounding that I have um, against which almost everything else became measured was given to me here. Immensely grateful to um, to the professors from those days and the, the supporters of the college who make that a reality and still make it a reality for people. Um, the UK was, again, hugely formative in so many ways because that's where um, I finished my PhD studies, my my first and longest uh, tenure uh, teaching and and leading in education in the UK, and that opened up all kinds of doors to um, serve in various organizations, Evangelical Alliance, the Baptist Union of Great Britain, um, Tier Fund. Just the networks in London were phenomenal, and the ability to um, to serve in so many ways was extraordinary. And those opportunities, as well as the people that I encountered through those opportunities, were significantly shaping of of my leadership. In part, it's because people believed in me and gave me opportunities, uh, opportunities I would never have dreamt of, and they would just open doors. And and again, just grateful that that um, 
I think what I'd received before gave me the courage to walk through the doors, if that makes sense. And then those experiences themselves became shaping of, of my leadership and made me believe that maybe I could lead because I, I didn't set out thinking, I'm going to lead a college someday. I don't know who, who does that. Maybe there are people, but that, that I didn't. <laughs> that wasn't where I started. Um, and some days I come into work even still and think, what am I doing? Uh, but, um, but those were all hugely shaping things for me. And it's people who take... Um, who took a risk on me and people who believed in me along the way and uh, colleagues that I met and projects we got to work on together that where you test out what you can do and uh, and start to build your confidence in what God's asked you to do and that you might actually be able to do some of it. That's a long rambling answer to your I question. I think that's so true of, of uh, theological work and ministry work in general is you find your, your foundation early, hopefully, and then you take chances and... Uh, hope you have people that trust you and encourage you to walk through doors. And I think you've been doing that for uh, for a while and uh, encourage others to do the same. So I, I think that's a, a long answer, but but absolutely consistent with uh, who I know you to be. Uh, th- this podcast in particular comes from the McRae Center for Christian Faith and Culture here at the Divinity College. Um, for some of our listeners who we've picked up recently who might not know, uh, what is the McRae Center? McRae Center is, a, is one of our three centers of excellence at Acadia Divinity College, and that might not mean anything to people, but in an academic environment, to have a study center, just be, it just is a place where, uh, where research is spawned and activities find a home. Um, uh, and people can work together under the under the umbrella, I guess, of that center. And so uh, the McRae Center was founded in 2016 um, to honor the legacy of uh, Dr. Andrew McRae, who was the fourth president. Six, yeah, I can do math. Um, and he was president during my time as a student, um, and he taught evangelism, and I remember him so well and had the opportunity to work with him when I came back as well. So to honor his his legacy, and he had a passion for apologetics and for evangelism and for sharing the good news of Jesus in in the real world. And so the McRae Center, as the Center for Christian Faith and Culture, uh, is really seeking to extend that in a in a context, a cultural context where it's not always simple to be a Christian. I'm not going to say easy because I think the ease is there, to be honest, but it's not simple. It's complicated. There are questions we have to ask and conversations we have to have and things we have to think differently from the way we existed as Christians in the Western world, at least before. And I don't think it's worse. I think it's, it is what it is and we can embrace these opportunities, but we have to understand them. So we have to understand culture. We have to understand ourselves. I, if I could sum up, you know, the, the McRae Center, I'd say in some ways it's, it's translating the, the world to our, to, our, to Christians so that we understand what's going on even with ourselves. And, and it's translating the church to culture to say, this is who we are. We're not really scary as scary as you think we are um, and and that there's a place for people of faith in a post-christian context so um, we wrestle with with a lot of cultural ideas and uh, ways that the world is shifting and so this podcast for example we're having conversations with a wide variety of people that just explore a whole wide range of issues that get us thinking about what it's like to to be a Christian uh, in the world today um, with people who are thinking about those kinds of things a lot so this is this is one of the ways that we try and get 
people to wrestle with new issues and, and think about uh, what it means to live in, in our society. What is your, what's your hope for the McRae Center uh, as far as outreach or what it's able to do for people? Well, our primary mission here at ADC, of course, is, is uh, the formation of people for uh, Christian service. And so uh, it, what it does within the college is probably of primary importance in some ways. And what it does within the college is it reminds all of us that we have a responsibility, whether we're in biblical studies or theology or uh, practical theology, that we have an obligation to make sure we're helping students think through what this looks like in context um, and so we, we have, um, it feeds, it feeds the whole curriculum in that sense, um, and becomes a lightning rod for issues that we can talk about that are important for the whole of the curriculum. Um, but it also kind of expresses our, uh, our culture, our own culture and how we have, um, grown as an institution, um, to, to wrestle in daily with what's happening in culture, what the new ideas are, to be able to identify them, and to so there is a role I think to help translate some of that to the church because we're the ones who have opportunity to think about it theologically and then to be able to um, interpret what's going on and to be able to filter that, to filter that down. So I hope that's helpful um, in some ways, but also the uh, key piece is the research piece. And, um, I'm hoping that as time goes on, we'll be able to do more and more research in terms of, there's a lot of research happening in the college around contemporary culture. Um, and, and, and I'm hoping we'll be able to filter more and more of that through the McRae Center so that it can be disseminated, uh, more readily. We often don't tell everybody what we're up to here and there's lots of really neat stuff going on. And the McRae Center is, is, um, um, a face for some of that exciting times i think yeah exciting times to come as well people will often describe you as being uh, well anna's a leader anna is a the president anna is a speaker anna is anna is anna is anna is what would you use to describe who who you are and what it is that you do hmm. when i when i often stand up after an invitation or an introduction at a speaking venue the first thing I often say, and, it, and I don't say it lightly, I say it because I mean it, is often I'm, in the words of D.T. Niles, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. And at the end of the day, that's what I am. And I've been saved um, by the grace of Jesus. I've been sought and saved to the uttermost, as P.T. Forsyth might say. And so... Um, I, I, that's just a reality that I want to share with other people at the end of the day, that's who I am. And, and so that'll be manifested whether I'm chatting in a coffee shop or, you know, at home with my son's friends or whatever is going on. That's, that's really who I am, to be honest. I think sometimes in the, in the prestige and the hype of a bunch of titles, uh, all of which are. Uh, impressive and hard-earned and all those good things it's easy to overlook some of the things that that we are before we are those things before you were president before you were director of the McRae Center you were uh, and are uh, an academic and a theologian uh, and sometimes we forget that that's a big part of who Anna is so how would you describe your academic work mm. 
in some ways I'm uh, I was always destined to be an academic and in some ways I'm a very unlikely academic now people who know me will understand that because you know I'm full of questions all the time and I see things sometimes in different ways I think that's the cre I'm a creative at heart and and oftentimes we don't think of academics as creatives but at heart I am a creative and it's about holding up an issue taking an issue out of scripture out of the world and holding it up and looking at all different angles and see where it shines you know and and I love that process um, and I've always liked that process in terms of asking questions, digging in, seeking a deeper understanding. Is there another way of looking at this? Whatever it is. Um, so I've always loved that. Um, the, the discipline of academia in terms of, you know, hanging out in the library and um, reading books all the time. And I, I find that less exciting. Um, although it's very appealing today in the midst of my busyness. <laughs> it would be great to hang out at the library today. Um, but I'm an extrovert, extreme extrovert. And so that aspect of the work, I need to be able to have a focus time where I can dive deep into the books and then come out again. Because um, doing the PhD was probably one of the most difficult spiritual struggles of my life in some ways, because just the discipline of being alone and I know you're not alone. You're with all your friends in the books. I get that. <laughs> but, oh, my, they don't, they, they. They're not great company sometimes. They're not, sometimes yeah. they're, they're just quiet. not. Yeah. yeah. And, and the conversations go on in your own head, um, which, again, for an extrovert is not, is not always fun. So that aspect has always come by discipline. Um, and, and, but the inquiring aspect and the thinking and putting things together and trying out ideas, um, that's something that actually will serve me very well in this role, I think. Mm -hmm. It'll keep it'll keep the theology rolling in the background, but at the same time, um, we'll, we'll make what I'm doing day by day a theological exercise in that creative and dynamic sense. At least that's how I'm encountering it at the moment. And I don't, if I don't do that, I'm not sure how I could do it otherwise. Mm. What would you say is your favorite part of the academic life? It's the privilege of thought. Isn't, I mean, yeah. you, to have the privilege of thought, you've you've got to have a number of things, I think, and I and I I see it as a, a privilege, really, that we can uh, that we live in a place where we have institutions where we can learn, where we can think, where we can think God's thoughts after Him, and just the joy that comes from figuring something out, and yet still having so much longing for so much more. Mm. There's there's a joy in all of that. Um, some of what C.S. Lewis would say about that resonates with me. You know, this desire um, that is, it'll always be unfulfilled, this mm -hmm. side of glory, but the, the privilege of thought and, and thinking up new ideas that then feed Christians and, and, and help people who are not Christians to recognize their spiritual side, um, to awaken that in people, to see that spark of life. That's still for me as the motivator. Right. I mean, it it seems layered in some ways, but there's students here. I, I used to argue with God a lot. I would say, God, why have you got me in an institution? Me of all people, you know, I want to be out. I want to be ta talking with people, doing stuff and so on. And I realized at different points, God spoke very clearly about this. At one point it was, well, Anna, look at the numbers of people that you're able to equip to go out. Mm -hmm. So the thought of students coming out of this place and, and having those great, moments of people the lights coming on and difficult conversations with people who don't believe and all of that that we're sending out all these people to do that really excites me mm -hmm. and and I have to believe in that otherwise I'd feel quite 
despairing, I suppose. Um, but at the same time, it's, it has given me opportunities to continue my own ministry um, wherever I am. So whoever is around me, um, and, and on a campus like this, it's not only Christians. Um, the people who are around me, I get to have that great opportunity to to live Christ's light mm. in the midst and and not just like look at me I'm shining Christ's light but to be able to to bring that light to to pray for people to encourage people to um to be his representatives in this place is a massive privilege and and I find that still very exciting yeah I think your your joy of of thought is contagious to people that are that are around that uh, you said to me a couple years ago that the best questions just lead to more questions, uh, and I think that's the that's the excitement of being able to think about stuff. Uh, just a, a great privilege that we have. Uh, anyone that's been around you much or knows you uh, at all knows you're tremendously hardworking, um, hours and hours and hours, always working on something. Let's talk about fun. What what do you do for fun? This is fun. <laughs> What do you do for not work fun? Um, well, I love to be with my family. Um, I have a 10-year-old son and uh, and a husband still. And uh, they're great because they, they still, we've been married 30 years. <laughs> and uh, and we knew each other for some time before that. So it seems like a lifetime together. Um, and so I, I love time with them. Mm. And... Um, and we will we'll do anything together. I mean, we'd spend a weekend. Uh, we'll go to the city. This is this is my son's favorite thing. And we go to the city, and we'd stay in a hotel, and he can go on the water slide, and then we get him a Lego set, and he does the Lego set. And we go to a museum or what? You know, he just yeah. he just loves that, and so do I. Um, simple things, to yeah. be honest. Um, I I I do like the outdoors, but I've not had time to be much in the outdoors for a long time. So we, we bought a kayak and we've never used it. It's like three <laughs> three years old now. It looks great though. <laughs> it looks really great in the shed. Yeah, uh, where no one can see it. Um, so I would enjoy that sort of thing because I I used to, but although I can't move as lifely as I did when I was in my twenties, of course. Um, so so you know walking. Um, just just being together with people um i i read when i'm relaxing yeah. i will read mm -hmm. and I'll, for what i said about reading and research um reading for fun is good i love political biography um and people look at me and say no i mean really for fun no seriously political biography is great they're wild <laughs> they are we're doing one now peter and i will often listen to um audibles at night mm -hmm. um and so now we're on um the Meyer's book about Putin which is it's fat it's fascinating stuff so I don't know how people can't like that I know I'm <laughs> sad what do I do for fun I listen to political biography um I don't know what else I cook I cook I love to cook yeah, yeah. and um cooking for me is again a creative exercise where I'm in control so like after all these meetings all day and I don't mm -hmm. know what's happening I don't know where leadership is going I can go home and I can like cook yeah. and and it's creative too it's not just following a recipe I just throw stuff in and yeah. And we see how it goes. Yeah. But I love that. Yeah. Oh, and you know, the student body, when they asked who they would like to cook for them for a year amongst the faculty, you know who it was they chose? It was me. <laughs> it's on the top of your resume, I'm sure. Yeah, I put it there. <laughs> yeah. uh, just before we, uh, we wrap up and we're drawing to a close, I want to just make a, a slight pivot. During this first series, we've sat down and talked to a bunch of interesting people uh, that are at the head of a wide variety of ministries in different countries, different denominations. Uh, it's been fun. It's been enlightening for 
uh, for me and I hope for our listeners as well. Our second series is going to start in January, and we're calling it Talking Transcendence. So you're going to be talking to all sorts of people about uh, transcendence and different uh, facets of that. But let me ask you, before we get to then, when we talk about transcendence, what does that mean? Uh, What does it have to do with our society, our culture, and why does it matter? Hmm. Well, um, when we speak of God and transcendence. We're talking about the ways in which God is bigger than, more than, additional to, larger than the material world, Um, that there's something more than the material world that exists. So God's transcendence, his his being over and above the created world. Um, And then immanence, the the contrasting concept, is is that God is present within and and in the world. the, the sense that there's a lost transcendence is something people have been talking uh, a lot about, that our cultures have, in essence, lost a sense of transcendence, a sense that there is another layer of being, that there is a God who is higher and more and beyond um, our own day-to-day experience. Um, and th- that loss in our culture, I think, explains a, a lot of um, difficulties that we have. The, the philosopher Charles Taylor out of McGill calls it the malaise of imminence, that, that there's a, um, you know, a, a sense that life is not very interesting when we've lost this sense of transcendence and, and a sense of meaning and purpose have disappeared or at least are fading. And so I would love to pursue this conversation with a number of people, particularly some people who have no faith at all. And mm. I, I really want to know how how do people function? And they do because we see them. <laughs> so I don't doubt that they function. But how do they function without a sense of uh, transcendent spirituality? That mm-hmm. a, there's a God who is bigger than our what I see around me. Um, and, and so I hope we'll be able to have some of those conversations with, mm-hmm. with thinking people um, hopefully some academics who, who are atheists, who don't have any faith, and, um, and to see what is it, how do they cope with that? How do they process that? And then we'll be able to have uh, similar conversations, I hope, with a few other people too. But I'm really looking forward to that. It sounds like it's going to be uh, really fun for the, the six episodes we do for that in the new year. 